It was pretty much day one of the church. It was an event that we now know as the day of Pentecost. And all the believers were gathered, and wasn't many of them, that the Holy Spirit showed up. And there was wind, and there was fire, and then there was people speaking languages that they shouldn't know. Other people were understanding languages that they shouldn't understand. And it was this kind of incredible moment of worship for the church. In fact, it was so kind of wild that, that a whole bunch of people gathered to spectate, and, and a bunch of them were like, what is going on? Y'all been drinking. That's what's been going on. Like, that was his conclusion. And Peter steps up, one of the main apostles, and he starts to preach to this crowd that is gathered, and he starts to tell them the truth about Jesus Christ and about the Holy Spirit and about what's really going on, and he just gives this unbelievable sermon to them, and he finishes it with this one verse, this one line. He summarizes and says, so let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you and to all your children, even to the Gentiles, all who have been called by the Lord our God. And then Peter continued preaching for a long time. That's biblical. Strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day around 3,000 people in all. That is what we're going to talk about today. Would you stay standing while we pray? Father, we just invite you to move in our midst this morning. Father, I pray, Holy Spirit, that, that you would speak to us that wherever we're at and whatever we're going to, that, that your Holy Spirit would show up and be our encourager, our convictor, our helper, our comforter. I pray that you would speak, that you would move, that you would do the work that only you can do. We invite you and we give you the freedom to speak to us. I pray for every person that is in this room right now, Jesus, that their ears would be opened, that their hearts would be opened, that their minds would be opened to the things that you would have for them in this place and help us to respond in obedience, help us to respond in worship. You're good and we love you and we're glad that you're here. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Welcome to church today. How you doing? Good. I mean, four out of a hundred's not bad, so that's, that's good. I always like to know what I'm working with. I got, I got some work to do, so I need a drink. Hmm. Um, well, I'm excited for today. I'm excited to kick off a brand new series. I'm excited to get into this Imagine Again series, and God has been working and moving. We've already had an unbelievable weekend. We kicked Saturday night services off again. And that was fun. This place, I think we had more people Saturday in this room than we did first service. It was, it was wild. And so uh, it's just been really, really good. In fact, cool story. Uh, yesterday, like an hour before church maybe, I uh, got a message from a person at Crosspoint who will remain anonymous. And they said, hey, how is your 150 for 150 going? Because five weeks from today, we are launching Crosspoint Church on the south side. And it's going to be crazy. And we've been fundraising to get all the stuff we need to do that. And, and this person has stepped up and said, how about this? How about until you're at your goal, I will double every donation that comes in? 
So if you give 100 bucks, you're really giving 200 bucks. If you give $1,000 today, you're really giving 2,000. I'm not good at math, but I do know how to double. <laughs> and that is exciting and awesome. God is in this church. He's in this. And so we're excited about that. And uh, if you've been kind of on the wire, should I give? I, I can only give 20 bucks. It's doubled. That's awesome. God's good. Um, all right. Well, I want to start today uh, by showing you a really cool picture that I colored all by myself. It's not a joke. I actually, I colored this yesterday. I did this. I'm good at coloring. I, some boys cannot color. This boy can color. Uh, better than some of my children, which, I mean, I'm 36. I've got some experience on them. Um, here's the thing about coloring. This came out of the weirdest coloring, but this is a dollar store coloring book. Every picture is as bizarre as a duck in a top hat. And, and here's the thing about coloring that I always found boring is that you're stuck with this picture no matter what. And the only thing creative that you can do to it is change what color you want to color things. And so I have always resisted coloring things what color they should be, and I've always just decided to go crazy and use as many colors as I could. Who I want an orange duck with a yellow face and a green bib thing. Now, some people can't do that. Some of my kids, if you color with my kids and you start to color an apple purple, oh, you will hear about it. They will not, that's not how it's supposed to look, right? And some people just have to keep it between the lines, right? That's how you're taught how to color. It's all you just keep it between the lines and everything should look just like it should. In fact, some people do the paint by numbers thing where you don't even have to think about what color it's going to be. I can't fathom anything more boring then one, fill in the blank, and two, here's what color you use. Why would you do that? Some people love it. So you can only be so creative when you're coloring, right? And no matter how creative you get with the colors you use, you're still going to end up with a duck and a top hat. The picture never changes. The colors might, but what you're working with is never, ever going to change. But here's, here's the thing. Here's what messes some people up is what if you erased the picture? What if you removed all the lines and someone handed you a blank piece of paper and says, all right, let's get coloring. You know how many people freeze up at that? They're like, what do you mean? I don't know what to, should I draw something? I don't know what to color. Is this shapes? Is it stick people? Is this good or bad? I don't know what to do. They just completely freeze up because it's way easier to color in something that's already been there than it is to come up with something brand new. It's way easier to maintain something the way that it's always been than, than to sit down and dream up something that, that isn't. And, and we're way more comfortable over here working with a pre-existing structure, structure than, than we are just kind of dreaming something new for the first time. Anyone guilty of that? You wouldn't know what to do with like a blank sheet of paper. And as a church... Sometimes what we do, sometimes what lots of churches do, is, is that really they've just been coloring in the same picture time and time and time again. This is how it's always looked. This is the way that it is. And even if you switched things around and you colored things differently, 
you still end up with the same picture. It's the same picture that's always been there. And there are seasons in our church where we've just kind of maintained and, and we've done what was safe and good and comfortable and we knew what to do with it and we changed some things, but let's not get too wild. But what if, what if God is handing us a blank piece of paper cross point and he's saying, how about you dream up something brand new? How about you think of something that's never been done? What if you experience something that you've never been a part of? What if I am asking you to do something new? We serve a God who says, I make all things new. He says, look, I'm doing a new thing. See, this series is an invitation for us to look at a blank sheet of paper and ask God, what is it that you want to do with us now? Do something new in our midst. How about we, we switch it up and we change something and we ask him what he wants and, and even though it might be a little daunting and a little challenging and a little uncomfortable, I would rather do what God wants to do than, than just stay over here and do what we're comfortable with. So we're asking ourselves, we're asking you to join us as, as we use our imaginations, as we dream up something that maybe has never been, but it could be. I mean, that's what imagination is. Right? I want to talk about imagination for a minute because somewhere along the way, I think we lost the excitement and, and the necessity of imagination. We, we just assume that's what kids do. Right? That's what, oh, talking about imagination in church, what kind of childish hocus pocus is this going to be? Right? And, and you think that, that imagination is just the delusional make-believe of childhood, but what if it's not? What if it's not something that you just... You know, your kids are bored. You're like, use your imagination. You give your kids crayons. You're like, just use your imagination. But then you grow up and people are like, quit dreaming. Welcome to the real world. And the invitation to dream and, and, and come up with something new and to have some vision just kind of falls by the wayside. And, and this series is an invitation for us to imagine again. Let's dream again. Let's think about things that have never really happened. Because in a lot of ways, faith really is an act of the imagination. Which isn't to say at all that our faith is the stuff of make-believe. We, we believe Christianity is absolutely rooted in history. It was based on a real man in a real place at a real time with real people that real historians have written about all throughout the course of history. But here's the thing. There, there is this intellectual side of Christianity where we've lingered and thought about and worked at. But there's also, scripturally, another side of the coin where God says, why don't you dream and hope and pray and imagine? Intellect and imagination are not opposites. There is room for both of them in the church. Maybe they're, both si they're two sides of a coin. And we've erred way more on one than we have on the other. And imagination is simply the capacity to visualize something that isn't, but it could be. I mean, that's what it is. Imagination, you're just dreaming of something that probably isn't your current reality, right? No one daydreams about something they already have. That's boring. You dream about... Man, can you imagine? You, you have dreamed about what it would be like to have a million dollars and how you would spend it, where you would live, what you'd be driving right now. It's not your current reality, but you can certainly dream about it. Some of you look in the mirror and you're like, can you imagine if I lost those 20 pounds and started working out and I was just ripped? It's not your current reality. This is what you're looking at. But what if it could be? Right? And here's the thing, when you imagine, sometimes what that does is it spurs on some hope in you so that you start to go from, oh, this is just wild, to, well, what if? 
What if it could be? What if I could get a million dollars? What if I learned how to... I don't even know where you'd start with a million dollars. But what if you learned finances and stocks and things and got good at it and, and you're just like, no, I'm going to do this. And you made it a goal and you did it. What if you looked in the mirror and you're like, I'm tired of what I'm looking at right now. And you actually started eating better and working out and got a personal trainer. Sometimes it's dreaming up something that gives you that little bit of hope that says, this, this isn't my current reality, but I'm going to work towards it so that someday it is. And without imagination, our world has never progressed. We only have what we have in technology because someone dreamed it up before it existed. We, we only have vehicles because someone dreamed it up when we were riding horses. Right? You only have a cell phone because someone dreamed it up one day when they were stuck to a cord in their kitchen thinking, this is super annoying. It wasn't the current reality, but it sparked something where they thought, let's get there. And I want to invite us to do that as a church where we're looking at something, this has always been our current reality, this has always been our experience, this has always been our history, but what if God wanted to do something new? What if he takes us to a new place? And, and what if even in your own life, you got to a new spot with Jesus that you've never been before, that you didn't even think that you could get there? I want us to dream about that. This is a biblical idea. Colossians 3.2. Paul writes, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. He says, don't just think about your reality. Don't just think about where you're at and boring old. Think about heavenly things. Think about things that aren't your reality. Think about things that you're not even sure what it looks like. Right? Have you ever had someone tell you, like, get your head out of the clouds? Colossians 3.2. Take that. Church, we've got to get our heads in the clouds and start dreaming again. Paul actually says again in Philippians 4.8, he says, Now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. And he's using that language again. Fix your thoughts. Think about things. It's all happening up here. It's not necessarily your reality, but he's saying, can you dream? Can you imagine? Right? It's not that we live in a world that's full of what is pure, admirable, and lovely. But he's saying, why don't you think about it? And in thinking about it, maybe it'll come out in your life. Maybe you'll start to live that way. Maybe you'll start to speak that way. And maybe that's what it will look like down here. Because dream about it and pray about it, and then maybe you'll see it happen. Paul says, think about those things. Fix your thoughts on those things. So what do you dream about? What do you imagine about? Is it trivial things like your wallet and your body size? Or do you daydream about things of the kingdom? Do you imagine what could be in your walk with Christ and what, what could be here at the church? Sometimes we almost discipline children for having overactive imaginations. And today I want to reprimand us for not having enough of one. And then ask us to start imagining again. Some of us have stopped imagining. We got cynical and old and boring. And we stopped doing that somewhere along the way. So let's imagine, and let's really believe, like anything that we can come up with, Jesus is capable of doing. You can't imagine something that God is not capable of doing. You can't dream something that is bigger than God's capability. 
So no matter how wild or crazy a thought you might think that, that I say today or that you might even have on your mind, it's still not bigger than his capabilities. You can't out-imagine God. And so that's what I want to invite us to do in this series. So we're going to look at that verse. Just talking about one verse today. And it's that last verse that Peter says in his sermon, Acts 2.36. He says, So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. It's a pretty imaginative verse. That's a pretty wild and crazy verse. Maybe not at first glance, maybe not the first time you hear it, but when you look at some of the words he uses, it's hard to look at that verse and say, oh, Peter, I think you're a little out of your mind. Because it's talking about something that's not yet real, but it could be. He's talking about something that might sound impossible, but with God, all things are possible. In fact, you might hear this verse pop up a lot throughout the course of the series, Matthew 19, 26. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible, but with God, everything is possible. So the first word in this verse that I want to talk about today is the word everyone. He says, let everyone know about Jesus, everyone. You know what? Sometimes I think that we don't really believe that we could reach everyone. I think that's how we feel sometimes. I don't know, can we really reach everyone in Fredericton? Peter thought he could reach everyone. He wouldn't have said it if he didn't think it was a possibility. So Peter's not just after a certain demographic. He's not just after people who are like him, people that he grew up with. He's not after men or women or young and old or whatever the case. He, he's after everyone. That's who he wants to know. You know, that's, he wants them all to know about Jesus, everyone. It's about everyone. He thought reaching everyone was an actual possibility. Do you believe that everyone in the city of Fredericton could at least be presented with the good news about Jesus Christ? It's not too big of a task. Sometimes I think that we believe too small for the church in Fredericton. Sometimes I think we think too small for the church in Fredericton. And, and what we're doing really is, is we're looking at the picture that's always been of the church in Fredericton. This has always been my background. It's been my experience. This is what history has told me. It's, we, we've done it a few different ways. We've colored it, you know, differently depending on what year it is. Or, but it's always looked like this, and so we're convinced it's always going to look like this. Well, Mark, I mean, that's, you know, it's just the way it's always been. That's what my experience has been. And so we start making these assumptions about what a church in Fredericton is realistically capable of doing. But what if God is giving us a blank piece of, piece of paper? And he's saying, how about you dream something brand new for the church in Fredericton? What if I want to draw something that you've never experienced here before? What if I want to do something new that, that's never happened here in the city of Fredericton before? What if, what if a church could break through in the city of Fredericton like has never happened in the history of this city? What if the Holy Spirit began moving in such a fresh, powerful way that things were happening that we never fathomed would happen in the city of Fredericton? Right, and some people, I know some people are, oh, well, Mark, I just, you look at the population and the statistics, and I don't think there's ever been a church in Fredericton that's ever kind of averaged a thousand people. Well, let's be the first. Do you believe? And that's not just about having a big church, that's because we want to reach everyone. 
That's because we want to make sure that everyone has the opportunity to hear about Jesus. It's not about increasing our church size. It's about increasing the kingdom. Peter says, I'm after everyone. That's why we're launching a campus. It's to help us reach everyone. We're out of space here. We're at capacity, multiple services. What do you do when you're out of space, but there's more people to reach? You pay for someone else's space. And you go reach those people. We're about reaching everyone. And and we think, well, man, there's 55,000 people who don't know Jesus, and so how long is that going to, I don't know. The the front page uh, of the newspaper yesterday was a story about how our population is actually about to head into kind of a boom, and they're projecting for the next 25 years, every year we will grow. They're actually saying that by 2041, our city could be a city of 93,000 people, and the greater Fredericton area could be 175,000 people. They're actually projecting maybe in 25 years we would be bigger than St. John. That's a whole bunch more people that need the gospel. So people ask us sometimes, well, when are you guys going to be done? Right? Like, how long are you going to do the campus? How long are you guys going to do Saturday nights? Well, until we've reached everyone. We're not done reaching people in Fredericton until there are no more people to reach in Fredericton. It's as simple as that. That's when we're done. Saturday nights in the campus, they're they're not things that are on a temporary kind of like, well, we'll just do this as long as we have to. I hope that we have to do it for as long as we have to. There's a lot of people out there to reach. It's our goal to reach everyone. In fact, it's not just our goal, it's God's goal. 1 Timothy 2.3 says, This is good and pleases our Savior who wants everyone to be saved. And understand the truth. That's He wants everyone to get saved too. For there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. He didn't just die for some of the 55,000 people in Fredericton. He wants every one of them to be saved. He wants every one of them to know Jesus. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean everyone will choose to follow Jesus, but we will do everything we can to ensure that they've at least been presented with Jesus, that they've been shown Jesus, that they've been served and loved in the way that Jesus would. It's not too big of a dream. The next word Peter says, uh, he says, are in Israel. This kind of fits with what we were just talking about. That represented who he was speaking to. That represented their home. That represented the nation. He says, and everyone in Israel, some of them were on board with the gospel, some of them weren't, some of them thought they were drunk, some of them were filled with the Spirit. He says, it is my goal and my desire that everyone in my nation would come to know Jesus. What he's saying is that this is my home, this is my neighborhood, these are my people, this is who I'm after. The context for us, you could rewrite it as, let everyone in Fredericton know that Jesus is Lord. Right? This is our home. This is where we live. These are our neighbors. Right? Sometimes we send people out of Fredericton to go on a missions trip, and when you come back, you are still in a mission field. You're never not on a missions trip. It's just this is yours right now. It's Fredericton. This is your neighborhood. It's your neighbors. The New Testament talks a ton about how to love your neighbor and serve your neighbor. And the Good Samaritan, the response was, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus is like, would you just look around? It's the people who are here in your city. 
In fact, God even says in the book of Acts that before time began, he determined where the nations would be, where the cities would be, what their boundaries would be, and who would be in them, which means he knew on purpose right now who his kingdom in the city of Fredericton would be in 2016. He said, I know who's going to be there. I know there are 55,000 people who need Jesus, and I know that I've got around 5,000 who already do, and so I handpicked all of them on purpose to be here for this time, for this mission, for this city, and you are one of them. He says, all right, church, I picked you to be the people for here. Go do your work. Go be the church. That's our mission. It's on purpose. He left it with us. This is why we have for the good of the city built right into our vision statement, because it matters where we are. It matters what we do here. It matters how we serve here and how we love here and what we say here, how we pray for our city. It's been divinely orchestrated that we would have this mission for this time. People debate all the time what a city really needs. They, they think they've got it figured out, right? People love to sit around and talk politics and think they know all the answers. You get the old guys on their deck, you know what this city really needs? I don't know if that's a thing that actually happens anymore, but yeah, yeah, I can picture people saying that, but you hear people talk all the time, well, the city needs this, or we need to quit doing this, and you know, we voted in a new mayor, and it was a way of saying, well, maybe we need change, maybe we need new ideas, and, and people have all these, well, we need more green space, and we need you know, better jobs, and we need blah, 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 and everyone's got their ideas about what the city needs. In fact, there's a movement or a campaign happening right now in Fredericton called Imagine Fredericton. And it was basically an invitation from the city to its citizens to say, would you join us as we imagine what Fredericton could look like years from now? Can, can you help us think up great new ideas for the city of Fredericton? It's exactly what we're doing as a church right now. We had the idea first. They, like, there is a mole from the city who is in our church giving someone all of our ideas. They actually have an imagination station downtown. And you could go there and write on this big wall all your great ideas for the city of Fredericton. And you, if you've walked past there, you know, people just have, we need to fix hunger, we need to fix homelessness, less crime, less violence. We need, you know, people think they want to fix all the roads. People want to drop a bomb on the roundabout, whatever. <laughs> We're just going to talk about the roundabout just for a minute, okay? Just pause. Come back to Jesus. He's waiting. We have some important business to discuss. Some of you hate the roundabout. Listen to me. It is the best thing ever. The roundabout is fantastic. It is so good and convenient. The problem is that no one knows how to do it. That doesn't make the roundabout bad. It makes you bad. And so we need to fix you because it's good. So listen, here's how to use a roundabout. Are you ready for this? When you are entering into a roundabout, if you want to take the first exit to go right, you are in the right lane. Right goes right. If you want to take the last exit, which would be left, you want to be in the left lane. Right goes right, left goes left. If you want to go straight, you get to pick. Let's choose your own adventure. That's it. That's the whole thing. All right. Back to Jesus. And listen, those are all good ideas that people have. We need to fix those problems. We, we need to get rid of hunger and homelessness and, and violence and drugs. There was a 16-year-old found with a backpack full of guns, drugs, and cash in the city this weekend. 
I want better for our teenagers. You know what would be the absolute best thing for the city of Fredericton to have happen is if every one of them knew Jesus. That's it. And I, and I know that that sounds so cliche. That sounds just like what you'd think a pastor should say. But listen, if everyone in the city knew Jesus, there wouldn't be a hunger problem because everyone would have food. There wouldn't be a homeless problem because everyone would have a home. There wouldn't be people who needed clothes because everyone would have everything that they needed. There wouldn't be violence. There wouldn't be drugs. People would be freed from their addictions and from their brokenness. People would share everything that they have. There would be peace. There would be love. There would be hope. There would be joy. Relationships wouldn't be deteriorating, but they would be strengthening. The absolute best thing that could happen for Fredericton is if revival broke out in Fredericton and we lived and served and loved just like Jesus. That's what would fix a city. And there's literally nothing better that you could come up with with that. And you think, well, that is a crazy pipe dream. No, this is exactly what Jesus told us to pray for. He taught his disciples how to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is his desire that the will of heaven would be done right here on earth. It is his dream and his hope that we would be praying and living so that we would be bringing heaven to earth in the city of Fredericton. If everyone knew Jesus, it would completely revolutionize the city. Mayor O'Brien would be sitting down like, what happened to all my problems? We fixed them. Jesus fixed them. You're out of a job. I'm sorry. Why? Because we let everyone in Fredericton know. Jesus would keep the roundabout, just for the record. He wouldn't let half you drive on it. The next thing Peter says in this verse, it's just a little phrase. You almost jump right over it, but it matters. He says, let everyone in Israel know for certain. That's kind of a bold statement. For certain? Can you know anything for certain? No one knows anything. People are, no, you can't know anything for certain. Everything's fuzzy. Everything's debatable. Everything is uncertain. It's just, no, it's just kind of wild. And Peter's like, no, let everyone know for certain. He wouldn't say it again if he didn't believe it was a possibility. And you think, well, Mark, it's faith. It's uncertain. You can't know for sure. Listen, do you know for certain that Jesus has completely transformed your life? Have you experienced his power? Has he transformed you and changed you and given you purpose and hope and joy when you shouldn't have had joy, peace when you shouldn't have had peace, answers to prayer that were unexpected? Do you know for certain? In fact, I know a lot of people in this room that would stake their life on the gospel if it came to that. I don't know if you can know anything more certain than that. Peter says, I want people to know for certain. And so really what that boils down to is for us and the way that we speak about Jesus, it's speaking in a way that says, no, I know for certain. Right? We, we need to live that way. That we're bold, that we're courageous about our faith because we know what it's done for us. And sometimes we're, you know, when it comes to sharing Jesus with people, we'll, we'll start with like, well, I don't really know what to say, I don't have all the facts, I'm not good at arguing, I'm not good at evidence things, and, and so you'll start a conversation with like, <laughs> I know this is going to sound crazy, I know you probably won't believe me, 
That's like when your kids come to you and say, I know you're already going to say no. How about you have a little bit of confidence, right? Do you believe what it is you're about to say? When, when you're about to share Jesus with someone, do you really believe Jesus? Do you believe that he's changed you and transformed you and saved you? Do you believe he's given you hope and eternity and a future and a purpose? Because if you believe that he's done it for you, then you can speak that way and, and say, listen, I, I can't give you evidence or facts. I'm not interested in arguing anything about you. I just want you to know for certain what Jesus has done in my life. People are looking for you to have confidence in your faith. No one wants to talk to you. No one's interested in a faith that you're not convinced of. No one's going to sign up for a faith that you're waffling on. They, they need to know that you believe for certain, for real, that Jesus, man, he's changed my life. I, I know it for certain. I want us to preach and proclaim and pray that way. And it doesn't need to be like in a super gross, arrogant way, like sometimes get people get when they are convinced they're right. right. It's not one of those like, I know the truth and you don't. I know it for certain. Like, you don't need to be sassy. There's a difference between confidence and arrogance. And people want to know that your faith matters to you and you believe it. That's all people want to see. It's a boldness that says, no, I believe what I'm talking about because I know what it's done in my life. Like, if you got ill, this crazy new disease, just imagine. See, imagination is fun. Imagine you're ill. And... And, and there's, like, these new medicines coming out on the market to try and fix this thing. And you're talking to one guy, and he's like, listen, I had what you had. I took this pill. This one worked for me. Changed my life. I'm still alive. My family's still alive. I can't recommend it enough. I'm giving it to you. You need to take this. This is what you're looking for. And then you've got a guy over here who's like, you can't really be certain about pills. They're all different. There's so many of them. Who knows what's going to happen? Who knows about the side effects? I'd encourage you just to take all of them and just try and I hope it works out for you. What pill are you going to take? You're going to go back to the guy who says, listen, I know what it did for me, and I believe it can do the same for you. That's what people want to see you say about your faith. They don't want to be convinced. They don't want to be out-argued. They don't even care necessarily about the historical evidence in the Greek language. And they want to know what Jesus has done for you. That is your best testimony. That is your best evidence. I was this, and I met Jesus, and now I'm this. And it was only him. Peter says, you can know for certain there are some things in your life that you want to have some boldness and confidence in. Isn't your eternity one of them? I mean, it's life and death. Have you thought about it? Are you certain? Final thing Peter says really is the word Jesus. That's what it all boils down to. That's where this is all going. He says, let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified to be Lord and Messiah. It all boils down to Jesus. That's what the whole sermon's about. That's what the whole response is about, is what do we do with Jesus? Remember, he was just killed a few days ago. And then they saw him walking around town. This Jesus was dead, but now he's all of a sudden not. It's kind of a crazy story. Peter uses the words Lord and Messiah. Now the Messiah issue for them was huge. 
right? It, it, for us, not, you know, it's not necessarily a thing you think about or read about or discuss anymore. But for them, the Messiah, who the Messiah was, was what they talked about, dreamed about, debated about, argued about. It was all the news talked about. It was just, who's the Messiah? And, and people had come and gone for hundreds and hundreds of years saying, I'm the Messiah. And then they would die and be like, nope, he was not the Messiah. Until one day, Jesus starts walking around saying, I'm him. I'm God. I'm who you're looking for. I'm who you've been waiting for. Read the prophecies. Good to meet you. And they don't like it. It's kind of a weird thing that they've been waiting for this guy their whole life, and when he shows up, they're like, no, you're not. But it's what they do. And he claimed to be the Messiah. That's why they killed him. You can't claim to be God. That's blasphemy. You can't forgive sins. Only God can do that. Only the Messiah can say things like that. And you're not him. I know who you are. You're Jesus from Peniac. You fixed my doorstep a couple years ago. That's who they thought he was, just a carpenter from a hick town. Can anything good come from Nazareth? It's the most unexpected thing in the world. I live in Peniac, no offense. I love, I love Peniac. He says, no, he was the Messiah. Listen, everything he said he was, he really was. Everything he, he says that, that he is, he really is. Peter's like, I'm, I'm proclaiming, I'm telling you right now. He was dead. I saw his dead body. We moved it to a gravestone. And now it's empty, and he was strutting around town here yesterday. Can you imagine, just, just for a moment, can you imagine how much swagger you would have if you were Jesus, and, and the town that just killed you for, for saying that you were invincible, now you're walking around seeing like, huh? Seriously, guys, I told you. I told you. He was the Messiah. But then, then Peter uses the word Lord. That one does mm, cause us to struggle a bit sometimes. Lord means that he is over all things. He is Lord over everything. He's Lord over your life. He's Lord over the earth and everyone in it. He's Lord over the, the planets and the stars, that everything is under his name. Everything is under his authority. Everything is under his command. He can do what he wants, when he wants, and nothing else can stand in his way. He's Lord. That's what it means. So when you say, Jesus is Lord of your life, what you're really saying is that I have completely submitted to Jesus in my life, and he has free reign to tell me what to do and where to do it and when to do it, and I just live in obedience to him. That's hard. But that's what it means when you say Jesus is Lord. And one of the problems sometimes with the North American church is that we've got a whole bunch of people who said, Jesus is my Savior, but he's not your Lord yet. Jesus saved me and I'm going to heaven, but you're not living it out. Lord means you have submitted to him and you obey him and follow him no matter what he says. That's a harder one. And Peter says he's Messiah and Lord. He's over all things. See, the problem with some of us is, again, what we know about Jesus is just what other people have told us. What we know about Jesus is what other people have colored for us. And this is how he's always looked. This is what it's always been like with Jesus. Some people said he was a good man. Some people said he was a teacher. Some people thought he was a maniac who just said crazy things. But at the end of the day, no matter how you colored him, the picture was the same. You've got your mind made up because you've been listening to what a whole bunch of other people have said about Jesus. But God's invitation to you is to say, listen, why don't you go find out for yourself who Jesus is? 
Why don't you sit down with the word and open up the book of John and start reading it and find out who I really am? Why don't you sit down and pray and listen and ask me to change your life and I will show you who I really am? Why are you banking your eternity on the opinions of other men? This is your decision, your call. Who do you say Jesus is? Have you decided to find out for yourself? Or have you just been listening to other people's opinions? Have you been looking at other people's pictures? You're banking an awful lot on what someone else has said. What if Jesus isn't the way he's been colored by a whole bunch of people? And Peter's encouragement to them was the exact same thing. You think you know Jesus. You, you think he's a carpenter. You think he's from Nazareth. You just think he's a guy. But I'm telling you what, he is Lord and Messiah. And he says that verse, the last verse of his sermon. He wraps it up. says, he is Lord and Messiah. And if Peter had a microphone, he would have dropped it and walked off the stage. Right? That is, bam. And everyone, everyone asks, all right, well, what do we do now? I mean, if this is true, if this is real, I mean, I'm looking around seeing the Holy Spirit at work, and, and all these people have said they've seen Jesus walking around. What do we do? And he responds with, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He says, you just got to turn from your old life. Turn from your old ways. That's what repent means. It means you were walking down this path and it was a path in the wrong direction. It was a path that's had hurt, it's had pain, it's had regrets, it's had mistakes. You, there are things that you're ashamed of on this path. And, and, and Peter says, when you choose to repent and follow Jesus, he puts you on a new path. A path that's going somewhere way better, way different. It's a path that leads to purpose and hope and joy and peace. It's a path that says, this stuff is forgiven and forgotten. This, God doesn't even, when you accept Jesus, God forgot you did this. Do you believe that? He said, it's gone. Any, any of that stuff that you're ashamed about, I don't even know about it, because I've got you on a new path, going to a new place, and it's going to be awesome. It's a path on purpose, taking you to paradise. It's going to be awesome. He says, that's what you need to do. You need to repent and turn towards Jesus and say, listen, I've done some wrong things, and I just invite you to erase them from my life and, man, set me on a path that's going somewhere. Well, it sounded good for the people because it says that 3,000 people got saved on the spot. You ever think about how they even heard Peter? Like 3,000 people, I can't speak without a microphone to 100 of you. How did 3,000 people hear the truth? Well, with God, all things are possible. 3,000, in fact, the Bible tells us later that that was probably just men. If you added women and children, it was over 5,000. Just like that, one day, one moment, one sermon. That's how many Christians there are in Fredericton, by the way, about 5,000 maybe. The church grew by that many in a day. Do you believe it could happen again? Do you believe that revival could break out in such a way that thousands of people on the same day in the city of Fredericton accepted Jesus? Well, Mark, where are they going to do that? How are they going to hear that? I don't know. They heard Peter. Right? We need to dream and pray and imagine bigger things for the church. We used to think this room was too big. 
We don't have enough people to fill the seats. And now we added a second. And then we added a third for Christmas. We had to go to the playhouse. That's crazy talk. And then we filled it up. And we had to add a second service at the playhouse. And filled that up. And then we had to go to the convention center. I think, that's crazy talk. We had to add a second service last year. Where do you go after the convention center? The Aiken Center? Why not? Two years. Get it on your calendars. Do you believe? Is anything too hard for God? Is anything too difficult? You can't imagine anything greater than what God is capable of doing. Why can't we fill up the Aiken Center with people and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ? 5,000 people on one day accepted the Lord. And God blew them all away and said, you thought I was like this. You thought church was like this. And I just gave you a brand new picture of what church is like. And I believe that God is inviting us on a journey where he wants to do something similarly. He says, church, I want you to believe and dream greater things. I, I can do so much more. And, and I'm going to do so much more. And we're going to pray and hope and dream for revival in the city of Fredericton. Because we actually believe that it can happen. And we actually believe that it would be the best thing to happen. But here's the thing, is that revival, it's not just a thing that starts with other people doing other things. You, you can't just sit through revival. It, it starts with you. It starts with you. And my question for you is the same one that Peter had for all of them. Like, what are you, you going to do with Jesus? I say he's Lord and Messiah. What do you guys say? All 5,000 of them were like, yeah, taking you up on that offer. And so maybe before we go any further on, on a journey in, into whatever God is asking us to do, maybe you need to get right with Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you've never made a decision to follow him. You're, you're still on the same path you've always been walking and Jesus is like, no, I got something way better. But you gotta turn from your old ways and start walking in a new way. You gotta ask me to forgive all your old ways so that I can put you on a path to something exciting. Wouldn't you rather walk away from shame, pain, and destruction and walk towards purpose, hope, and peace? If you've never made that decision, you can do that today. There's no secret password. There's no paperwork that you got to fill out. The Bible says if you believe it and you declare it, then you've been saved. And so we're going to give you the opportunity today to invite Jesus into your life and say, I, I need this change. I'm, I don't want to bank my eternity on someone else's opinion of Jesus. I want to find out for myself. There are hundreds of people in our church who are certain about what Jesus has done for them. And so I'm just going to get you guys to close your eyes and we're going to go into a time of prayer as we close today. But I'm going to count to three. And if when I get to three, you want to raise your hand in the air and say, yeah, I need Jesus Christ. I'm just going to invite you to do that because we really just want to know who we're praying for. We really just want to know who's making that decision. And so I'd invite you not to think about what other people might see, what other people might think, what other people have said about Jesus. In this moment, I want you to ask yourself, who do I think Jesus is? Do I want to try this? Do, do I want to do this? Maybe you're here and you grew up in church and you've since fallen away and, and maybe you would still claim Jesus as your Savior, but he's not necessarily your Lord. Maybe today you need to raise your hand and say, no, I'm back in Jesus. I want all of you and I want you to have all of me. And if that's you today, I'd invite you also to raise your hand. So I'm going to count to three and we're going to see some hands shoot up in the air and we're going to pray for you and we're going to celebrate. It's going to be great. So if that's you today, 
Just one, two, three. Would you just slip your hand up in the air? There are hands up all over the room. God is good. God is good. We want to pray for all of you today. Jesus, we just thank you that you are good and awesome and we believe in you and we've given our lives to you and you've changed them. So Father, right now, I just invite these people to pray along with me and say, Jesus Christ, would you come into my life? Forgive me of the mistakes that I have made and point me on a path to something better. I invite you to be my Lord and my Messiah and my Savior. Change my life completely. And Jesus, we celebrate with them, believing full well that, that, that you do what you say you're gonna do and that these people are, are part of your kingdom now and a party I pray you would transform every one of these lives. For those in this room who didn't raise a hand but they were feeling it in their heart and maybe said the prayer, we also pray for them, blessing and protection over them, that you would give them courage and grace for the road ahead. We pray that for all new believers today that have made a decision. And Father, for the church who have maybe already made that decision, I pray for them as well, God, that, that you would, maybe there are people in this room whose fire have has almost gone out and we pray that you would breathe onto that fire and ignite it fresh and new again. For people who have been in the church, but, but, but maybe they need your breath to come over their dry bones, just like you did in the Old Testament, and say, I can make you alive again. I pray that over them, Jesus. For people whose hearts have been hardened by a difficult life or struggles and trials that they've never broken through, I pray that you would break their hearts and eliminate obstacles and barriers, and may they find you again and sense you again in a new, fresh way. Holy Spirit, fall and speak and move. Comfort, convict, equip, and strengthen your church in this place, Jesus. You're good, and we love you, and we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus and this church. Say, amen. Can we give a shout for people today? Amen. Amen. Listen, if you're here today and you raised your hand, um, We've, we've got some stuff for you at the back table. It's a Bible, some next steps that we'd like to just hand to you. You don't need to stay for half an hour, uh, but we'd like to help you on your new journey. Don't be a stranger. Uh, hit up the table on your way out today. God is good, isn't he? Amen. Amen. Let, let's uh, wrap things up today by singing a new song. God's doing something new. Let's sing something new.